this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. What a blessing to be together. It's, it's good to be here. I always enjoy coming and, and uh, spending time with your group up here. Hopefully the ladies have uh, been able to recover from their retreat. I'm not sure, is that a proper name or not? Is it a retreat? Or sometimes my wife comes home more worn out. But I think... Uh, being um, intentional at connecting with others and spending time together sometimes just takes a lot of energy. And so I think we, um, it's good to be aware of that. I was, sounded like the ladies had an enjoyable weekend together, and I'm glad for that. When I was in service, um, and that was at Penn Valley in Pennsylvania, um, there was a church that we attended. It was a local uh, Mennonite church. And when we didn't have something going at Penn Valley, we would go there uh, Sunday mornings for a worship service. And uh, we spent a lot of time with the youth group. Uh, as a staff, we uh, were basically part of the youth group there at church. We would go with them on choir tour and youth nights and stuff like that. So I enjoyed interacting with the church people. But there was something about Sunday mornings that... Um, as staff, we discussed different times. It seemed like um, uh, their, their church service was probably much like uh, many of our typical Mennonite church services, I guess. We kind of knew the routine of what to expect. But there was something about uh, when, when they would get up to preach, it seemed like to us, it appeared as if uh, the whole, they sat segregated, so the ladies were over here, the men were over here. And it always seemed like the men would just slouch down in their seats just a little bit and get in a good relaxed position and uh, kind of settle in for a little nap. And there was quite a bit of agreeing with the message as, as it was being preached. And, um, and I will admit, um, maybe to some degree, the messages, and I'm not being judgmental of the pastors, but maybe they weren't um, real compelling or maybe there was there was meat there but you had to pay attention to get it um that's that's all right but it did take effort to stay engaged and so we talked about that as a staff um what we noticed at the church there and I don't know I didn't really pay attention to the ladies side but it just seemed like a lot of the men were kind of punched out and then at the end of the preaching uh one of the other ministers would get up front uh, much like we do and would make several comments about the, the message that was preached, and then they would open it for uh, some response. And typically, there wasn't a whole lot of response. And so they would, he would begin to you know, ask, uh, and this is, this is what the phrase that they would use, does anyone have a word? Does somebody have a word for us this morning? And they're just, Sunday after Sunday, it just felt like, there just wasn't any response. But quite consistently, there was one middle-aged man, I think his last name was Sharp, we just called him Sharpie. But Sharpie would stand up, he was about three-quarters of the way up, and he, uh, on the men's side, he would, I just remember him standing up, and he would have a testimony for the Lord, and something that happened that week that, um, that affected him, or something that he had read in his devotions, and maybe he would tie it into the message, but he had something to share for the Lord. 
and we, just, we talked about that. We said, boy, if it wouldn't be for Sharpie getting up, there just wouldn't be any testimonies. Um, so what was different? Why was it that he had a testimony and nobody else did? Think about that. You know, there are times that, that we think, well, why is, why is church so dead? Or maybe, why is, why is my church so dead? Why, why can't it be an alive church? Why aren't we reaching out? Why does my church not reach out? Why does my church not affect the community? Um, why is my church not a, a warm church? Or why is it not more spiritual-minded? Or why do they have to think, see things so, so distinctly, so black and white, we say? This morning, I would like to um, give you, if, if that's where you find yourself, I'd like to give you some tips to change your church and help them be more of an alive church, more of a mission-minded church, more of a spiritual church. Several questions to ask. As we think of church, and church I'm referring to the God-designed organization of a, a body of believers that gather. When we think of the church organization as such, is that organization a result of the people that are there, or are the people that are there a result of the organization. So do the, do the people here, do they make up what the church is? Or does the church, does Cornerstone, make the people who they are? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me give you a little bit of a backdrop here of this passage. Paul and Silas and Timothy had established this church on their second, on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, this was in a very, um, this, this church was, Thessalonica was in a, a, a um, it had a strong military presence and also was a commercial center. So there were a lot of people coming through this area. This town was, was a busy town. And it was very famous for its wealth and also for its, its vice, its wickedness. Um, it had attracted different Roman uh, high society and also just pagan society because of the wealth and because of, of where it was being a central place. The core group here were of this church were primarily Jews, although, although there were some Gentiles who also believed and were part of this church. And what happened is Paul had established this church, and then he sends Timothy back to check up on it. And he sends Timothy, he, he has him go, go see how the, the church at Thessalonica is, is doing. And so Timothy goes and, and observes the church, and he comes back, and he's giving a report to Paul. And he gives a, a relatively positive report of the church and how things are going. And so, so 
Paul is now writing a letter back to the church in response to Timothy's report of how they were doing, and that's what we have here in this passage is Paul's letter going back to them. Paul in his letter is giving them, uh, encouraging them, but I, I, I see him giving them just some, some tips of how to continue to grow in the Lord and how they should relate together and how they should be walking, um, how they should be walking personally with the Lord. So some, some personal things that they can, they can do or that uh, to encourage them in their walk. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye have not need that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. So as I look at this passage, I've, I've picked out three things that I think uh, Paul is in, and he may have, there, you may find others in this passage, but I want to look at three of them that Paul is calling the church of Thessalonica um, to be aware of, to observe, and to implement in their lives. The first one is found in verses uh, 1 through 8. He's, he's talking to them, the end of verse 1, it says, So you would abound more and more, so he's encouraging them. And then in verse 3 it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Abstain from fornication. In, in the New Testament, in a lot of Paul's letters to the New Testament churches, he calls them to a life of purity. He calls them to abstain from fornication. He, he words it different in different of his letters. But they're called out for their lack of sexual purity. And I think the, um, the, the culture around them, especially maybe the Thessalonians, what they faced, um, they probably faced a lot of pressure. Um, of, so there wasn't a lot of, of sexual purity in the culture around them. And so he's calling them to be aware of that. And as a church, as, as a personal, uh, I, I, I want to take this personally and look at my own life and how lack of sexual purity affects me and it affects us as a church. And I think we should be aware of that. Lack of personal purity affects 
not only myself, but also the people around me. Often Satan tempts me to think, well, what's the big deal? It just, it just affects me, or it, it doesn't really have anything to do with, with the people around me. But it does affect uh, the people around me. Some ways that it affects me is it, it distorts the view of myself and others. And, um, and so when I'm not living in, in purity, um, I begin to view others around me in a different light. And specifically, I've seen it in the church. And so when I'm not living out of a pure life, when there are things in my life, it causes me to be uh, judgmental of others. I suddenly, be, I start seeing, well, so-and-so, you know, they, they're struggling, or so-and-so, I, you know, I don't like, and I, I can begin to focus on everyone else who I think has problems and not be aware of the beam that is own, in my own eye that is referred to in, in the New Testament, talking about the sin that is in my heart. It also causes me to become uh, judgmental and dissatisfied with my brothers and sisters. Suddenly, um, I have the answers, and I, and I see other people, um, and I become judgmental of, this, of them. I become dissatisfied with the body as a whole because I, I begin to see other people's failures while I am overlooking my own. Not living in purity causes me to have a clouded view of truth. And so, suddenly, what should be clear, what should be truth, becomes muted in my mind. I can't clearly see that and say, oh, yes, this is a, this is a biblical truth. But when there's sin in my heart, I begin to explain away some of the things that should, that should be clear to me. And my, my, my view of truth uh, becomes distorted, and it affects how I relate to everyone in the body. Um, I, see, I see their negative, uh, I see their faults, I become judgmental, and on top of that, I suddenly have a view of truth that is not clear, although I may feel like it is. Verse 7, it says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. You know, we are called to be a people that are different from the society around us. We are called to be a people who have pure hearts, live out of a, a pure life, and affect those around us. This is not a call from the church specifically. It is not a call from uh, the Mennonites. It is not a, a call from uh, the ministry team or from Cornerstone Chapel. The, the calling is so much higher than that. It's, it's specifically a call from God to live pure, holy lives, like it says in verse 7. God has called us not unto uncleanness, but into holiness. We're to have lives that are, are pure, that can be a testimony to others around us. Hebrews chapter 13, 4 refers to uh, sexual relationships as God designed them. And it, and it says in that verse that they are a good thing when practiced inside of God's boundaries. They are a beautiful thing. It's, it's something that we are to enjoy, even as Christ's followers. But when we practice it outside of the boundaries that God has given to us, it's not a good thing. And it's clear in that verse, it says that when we step out of, outside of that, that we will be judged by God. He's, he's 
he does not approve and he does not condone that. Verse 8, it says, He therefore that despiseth, or another word would be rejects. He therefore that rejects, rejects not man, but God, who also hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. This calling of purity is not from man, it's from God. And when we reject that, when we refuse to live holy lives, we're rejecting God. It's not, we're not rejecting the church, we are, but it's higher than that, right? We're ultimately we're rejecting God when we choose to live in impurity. And then he gives us the secret in verse 8 for living this type of a life. It says, Who hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. You know, of myself, I can't be a Christian. Out of my own doing, it's impossible to live a Christian life. And sometimes we try to do that. We try to, uh, we know what we should do, do, we know how it should look because of the way we've grown up. And so, sometimes we can, we can mimic what we know should be done. But when it doesn't come out of a heart that's changed, when it doesn't come out, come out of a heart that's turned towards God, when it doesn't come out of a, a heart that's filled with God's Spirit, it's not going to last. And, and sometimes we become frustrated at not being able to... Living the Christian life is so hard, and, and I think sometimes it's because maybe the Holy Spirit isn't inside of us, driving us, um, giving us direction. We're not living out of the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us, but we're doing it out of our own um, who I am and, and what I've been taught. And that's a, that's a scary place to be. Second uh, Timothy chapter, I think it's chapter 4, if I remember right, verse 5 or 6, refers to that, of living out a life that looks like it's Christ-like, but it says we, they don't have the power to do that. And so it's referring to that, that idea of living out. And I think that's where we get caught up sometimes is we can do Mennonite and actually miss the real reason of, of Christianity, and that is to have a God-filled life. So we need to be aware of that. Is the Holy Spirit in my life? Is He the one that is leading me? So the first one is personal purity. Number two is found in verse 9. It says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, ye, to you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Interesting the comment that he makes here um, about brotherly love. He says, you know, I, I don't really, I shouldn't really have to write this to you, but he goes ahead and does. He mentions it. Um, the church here, um, this is, you know, they would have had firsthand experience of, of Christ living on the earth. They had firsthand experience of Jesus and how he loved and how uh, the early church is a new church and how they, they loved one another. So it's, 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 it's right there. It should be so obvious for them. But, but yet, he still encourages them to have brotherly love for each other. And I think it's so easy for us to forget that. It's so easy for us to forget our brothers and to really love them. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. It's important that we love each other. If we're going to love those around us, 
it's important that we love God. I'm not sure. I know some of you were at our meetings last week with John Kovlunds, and it just, to me, it, it was so clear in those meetings that my relationship with God should be first and should be strong. And his, it's, it's me receiving His love. It's me giving love back. But because I have that relationship, it, it then affects my relationships around us. And both of those are important. This relationship and this relationship, I think where we sometimes get confused in our current Christian culture around us is that there's now so much emphasis put on this relationship that the relationships around me aren't important. And I don't see that in a New Testament uh, church or New Testament teaching. I think it's important that we, we also acknowledge and that we, we value the relationships around us. Our relationship with God is very important, but we should also hear the brothers around us, the people around us. They also, uh, God speaks to, through them to us. Love should be our response to others around us because of what God has done for me. So it's only as I can accept His love, it's only as I experience and sense my need for Him that I'm then full of love to give to others. It should be a result of God's love for me. Do I really grasp God's love for me? Do I really grasp what He's done for me? Do I really grasp my need of Him? How lost was I? How much Savior did I really need? Verse 10, it says, And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. For we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So he encourages them to continue to grow in their love to the people around them, to the other, uh, the people um, probably in the society, but also in the church around them. What about us? Do we grow in our love? Do I realize the needs around me in the brotherhood, in the community? but also in the brotherhood. Am I aware of other people's needs or am I often more aware of what I need and how that's not being met by the people around me? Who's the one serving? You know, there's something interesting about serving and that is if you want to minimize your own needs... Serve the people around you. Because when I become aware of the needs around me, when I suddenly see how, when I become aware of what somebody else is facing, and I, and I empathize with them, and I, and I, and I care for them, I, when I really become aware of what they're facing and, and the struggles in their life, I suddenly realize, you know what? Maybe I don't have it so bad after all. Maybe what I'm facing isn't as big a deal and I think as we begin to serve other people, as we, as we serve those in need, my own needs kind of take back seat. So if you want to minimize your own needs, serve others around me. The third thing we find in verses 11 and 12, and it says, that ye, And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, 
that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. And so we talk about, I've been talking about uh, brotherly love being uh, connected and caring for one another, and then suddenly we have these, these two verses, and they give us, he gives us three things here. He, t- he says, study to be quiet, do your own business, and work with your own hands. And if you're an introvert, you're probably underlining those verses right now because that sounds pretty good, right? Um, what does it mean? Does it mean to just not be aware of others around me? Does it mean to um, just mind your own business? I'll just mind mine, you mind yours, I'll mind mine, and we're all good. Does it mean to just do your own thing, I'll do mine? Is, is that what he means by studying to be quiet, do your own business, and to work with your own hands? As I look at that first phrase, uh, study to be quiet, I think maybe a good uh, good interpretation in today's words would be to live a, a simple a quiet, simple, holy life. A quiet, simple, holy life. If you look back in verse 7, he calls us to holiness. What is holiness? Maybe we don't like that word. Maybe we don't want to be holy. Maybe we think it, it has too stiff of a, a feel to it. But being holy is being like God. It's replicating who God is. And I think we all, we all want more of that. We should want more of that. And while God is a holy God, how are we, how are we to be holy? How are we to be quiet? How am I to study to be quiet in my Christian life? You know, I think in some ways we should just enjoy life in the present, even if it's not glamorous. That doesn't sound very holy, maybe. But sometimes we get caught up in such a hustle and a bustle, and, and we want to be doing things, and we, we feel like we need to be busy, and everything needs to be big, and, and um, it needs to be noteworthy and showy. And I think as, as Christians, that's what we face in the culture around us, and it's affected us. It affects, it's affected how we live our lives, uh, whether we want to admit it or not. But I think as, as godly people, we are called to live a quiet life, enjoy life in the present, enjoy simple things. How simple of a vacation is still a vacation? You know, we've, we used to look around at, at our culture and say, well, yeah, they have to you know, they have to travel here or there, or they have to do these, these big things to have vacation. And as, um, as Christians, as Mennonites specifically, a lot of our, our parents and grandparents, they couldn't afford things like that. They didn't do things like that. We can. We can afford them. Um, our youth today fly to all over the the world and go to different countries, and I'm glad they have that experience. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I think it's good to, to be aware of other cultures and how we are blessed uh, where we uh, live. But I think the downside is, is that doing something with the family in the backyard is just not, it just doesn't, 
cut it anymore. It's, it's not enough. We need, we're always looking for that next experience, and we miss the quiet, simple things that we can do as a family. I have to think of uh, just enjoying local vacations, and I'm not here to um, say that we have it all together, but we as a family have enjoyed doing some of those things. And sometimes we did not choose to do them, it just by default happened. I remember some years ago we were going to go camping, and um, we had set a weekend, we wanted to do it, and I, I forget what it was, but it was a really busy time. We had a lot going, and we just we had young children at the time, and camping is a lot of work when you have young children. Uh, the children love it, the parents go home more tired than if they would have stayed home for the weekend. So uh, we, we finally decided, you know what, we're going to camp in the backyard. And I pulled the camper out of the shop and we set it up in the backyard and we told the children, we're going to go camping this weekend. We slept in the camper, um, we cooked out around the fire, we ate all our meals out around the fire, and if we forgot ketchup, we just went into the house and got ketchup. And if we uh, needed a shower, we went into the house and showered and we came out sat around the campfire, had our devotions out there, and just, we camped in the backyard, and we had a, we really had a good weekend. Um, so, I think sometimes we, we miss those things. We think, well, we have to do something big. And I'm saying, let's enjoy the simple things. Last summer, the boys and I, probably three or four times, we slept out in our woods. I mean, it's 200 yards from the house. It's 100 yards from the house, but it was a lot of fun. Went back there and made a campfire, and we slept in the woods. And, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't quite like uh, if I would have taken the boys to Colorado and we could have slept beside a nice uh, river that would have been uh, splashing and dashing along. And, you know, we could have been Instagram, you know, we would have had some nice Instagram pictures or Facebook pictures to post so that all of you could have seen how we're, we're doing something fun as a, um, as a family. But we had some really good times, um, and we plan to do it some more. So I, I think I'm just encouraging you, um, keep life simple. I think as Christians, we enjoy simple things sometimes that are attainable, that don't take a lot of energy and a lot of effort and a lot of financial means, and that we can do uh, with our family. Enjoy quiet, simple life and a holy life, and I'm also... So enjoy simple things, embrace hard times. Yeah, embrace hard times. Sometimes uh, living a quiet life means just embracing the hard times, saying, you know what, this is really hard. Uh, wherever you're at in your family life or maybe something that you're facing with your children or maybe you're facing something personally and saying, this is, this is really hard, God, but what are you trying to teach me? Am I quiet enough? Am I studying to be quiet enough that I can hear God speaking to me? Can I see God trying to change who I am in the little things? Am I allowing Him to shape me? Or am I just trying to get through the whatever it is, the hard time? If I can just get past this, then just ahead is, is going to be something better. And, and I think we, 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 we get caught up in that. It's, it's, it's just our mentality. It's it's who we are. You know, when we're 15, we want to be 16. We just can't wait to drive. When we're 16, if we could just be 18, then I could go to Bible school. If we're 18, if I, if I could just be 21 and get married, right, and have a family, and then, and then we have a family, and we think, well, if we could just, if we could just be financially established, and then if, 
if we could just turn 40 and somehow then we hit 40 and then we wish if, if I could just be 16, you know, if I could just be, <laughs> and we start looking back the other way, can we just enjoy where we're at presently? Say, God, you have me here. What are you trying to teach me? What can I learn? What do you want from me? Study to be quiet. The second one, do your own business. I'm encouraging us, don't focus on others' deficiencies. I mentioned it earlier this morning, but be careful that we don't focus on everybody else and how they could be doing better or uh, things that irritate us. Don't focus on others' deficiencies. Be responsible and focus on your own present calling. What am I called to do? Be faithful in my job, uh, whether it's actual occupation, be a good employee for your employer. Um, be a light to the other people that you work with or the customers that you interact with. Um, that should be a part of, of, of doing our own business. Minding my own business is also living a life that is, that is a testimony to others around me. Or in my callings as a Sunday school teacher or responsibilities at church. Or maybe God has called us to a responsibility whether it's at club or something that uh, we do that in the community. How do we serve other people? Do we focus on that? Are you responsible and are you focused on things that God has called you to today? The third one, work with your own hands. So live a quiet, simple life, do your own business, and work with your own hands. These are all sub-points under studying to be quiet. Work with your own hands. You know, physical labor in the era of where this, of where the, this letter was written um, was something that slaves did. It was not uh, the, the owners or the, the, the people with means uh, didn't do physical labor. And so, you know, if the church was called out of that time of slavery and called to, to get rid of their slaves, and if you remember, they also, there's, a, um, there's a letter that Paul wrote to, the, to a slave saying how he should uh, respect his master. So the church is coming out of that era of slavery. And I think this, um, this work with your own hands is, is specific maybe to what they were facing that day. Maybe we don't face this as much as what they did. But to them, physical labor was maybe not something they were used to. They were used to having their slaves doing it, to do it. And so Paul is calling them to work with their own hands. And maybe it was um, not only for personal reasons or for financial reasons, but maybe he was even calling them to to work in the kingdom. You know, there's something about when we're used to working with our physical hands, we're also used to working in God's kingdom. So I think he's calling them to, to work with their own hands, to put effort and energy into serving others, and to also do well at their occupation. There's something about idleness that contributes to an over-self-focus. And in northern Indiana, I don't, I don't know if we have a whole lot of trouble with idleness, but when we're not about um, serving others and, and being employed and being busy, we can slip into a state of idleness, and often that causes me to, to 
become a selfish person. I start thinking about myself and what I don't have and all my needs, and I become aware of all of that, and it makes me a selfish person. There's something about uh, there is personal fulfillment in working and serving others and, and uh, caring for others uh, that not only benefits them but also benefits me. There's a, a, just a fulfillment in serving other people around me. You know, I think God works in His people's hearts through the church that they're in. So the church does affect the people. It should. But God also builds His church through the people that are there and their changed hearts. Their hearts that are focused on Him, that are turned towards Him. Sharpie that sat in church, like I mentioned in that beginning story, did he hear a different sermon than everybody else? He didn't. Did he attend a different church? Were his brothers and sisters different than what everybody else was experiencing? They weren't. You know, the difference was he was different. There was something in him that looked past the things that he was experiencing around him and said, you know what, God is still working in my heart. God is doing something and he had a testimony to share to people around him. He was experiencing something that everybody else there could have experienced and chose not to. He could have been the person that would have said, you know what, I want more. I wish my church were an alive church. I wish, I wish the Spirit were here. But instead, he looked at his own heart, and he had a testimony for the Lord. He looked at what God was doing in him and gave a testimony. And it was such an encouragement to me to hear that. Is God distant in my church? And if He is, what is my responsibility to close that gap? Does God move away? Or do I move away from Him? To recap, I think a strong church is one whose people are pure, they love each other, and they're quietly busy in God's kingdom. And there are many more that we could add to that, but that's what I'm seeing in this letter to the Thessalonian church. But this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, changing me, and renewing my heart and my mind daily. It's having a relationship with Him, allowing Him to change who I am continually, growing, thriving wherever God has placed me, enjoying the simple things that I'm experiencing in life, the simple and also the hard things, embracing the hard things. I want you to think about this. If your church was full of people just like you, if everybody at church had an attitude just like you, if everybody in church was as engaged with what the church is doing as you are, 
if everybody would at church would attend as often as you do, if everybody at church would share a testimony as often as you do, would you want to be a part of that church? Would you say, I want to join that church? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that we can read in this letter to the Thessalonian church. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who are are being changed, that your spirit is working in us. Lord, we invite your spirit into our lives and hearts. And I pray that each one of us could be a, a person who's being changed continually, a person who is, who is allowing you to work in our heart. Lord, help us not to be judgmental of others. Help us to look at our own heart. Lord, help me to be aware of, of how I interact with others, how I care for them. Help me to be a person that is loving, a person who has a pure moral life and a person who um, just enjoys the simple things that you um, have allowed us to enjoy and have given to us to enjoy. Lord, I pray a blessing on the church here. May we be faithful and may we be a church that is effective in the kingdom around us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.